Hello, I'm delighted to welcome you to Search for Truth today, your 15-minute program of Bible teaching and hymn singing. Thanks for tuning in. Your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, continues our series of studies today on how we might gain a greater sense or awareness of God. And this time, Brian's given his study the title, Becoming Sanctified. In short, God is holy, so we should be too. In the pursuit of getting to know God better, we should become more like him, as Romans 8 verse 29 and other scriptures tell us. So let's listen to Brian now. Thanks, John. The book of Proverbs makes mention at least twice of the knowledge of the Holy One. That's not at all surprising, since the grand theme of that book is wisdom and understanding. Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, was given a vision of the Holy One. He saw him with six-winged angels, or seraphim, surrounding his throne in heaven. And there they were, shouting to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy. In Bible times and languages, when repetition was used, it was a device or a technique used for emphasis. And it's one that compares with our technique of underlining a word, or emboldening it, or adding an exclamation mark. I think we've got to assume that God was communicating in terms that would be clearly understood at that time on earth. In other words, this had the effect of proclaiming that the Lord is very, very holy. At least that's how Isaiah would have understood it. The Apostle John had a similar vision into heaven. What he saw and heard is recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 8 and 11. And the four living creatures say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. The four living creatures once again address God as holy, holy, holy. And we remind ourselves that the primary meaning of that word holy is otherness or difference. Although it does have the thought of moral purity, it first of all has the thought of God's otherness. God is holy, and the knowledge of the Holy One therefore immediately impresses on us that God is different. Now, the name of God, as distinct from his titles, is related to the verb to be, as in the great I am. And so here we have God described as the one who was and who is and who ever will be. This begins to show us just how different God is from us and from any other being. Then we come down to verse 11, where the 24 elders say, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Between these two verses, verses 8 and 11 of Revelation chapter 4, we've brought before us a fundamental difference between God and us, between God and anyone or anything else. God is the everlasting I am, the ever-existing one. We all had a beginning, and he was responsible for it. Down through history, Christian thinkers have spoken of God not only as the supreme being, but as a necessary being. Now, what does that mean? It means God simply must be, or putting it differently, with a double negative, God is the only being who simply 
cannot not be. Because if God should cease to exist, the entire universe would vaporise and disappear. Or looking at that the other way round, people have seen a classic argument for the existence of God here. Because suppose God did not exist. Suppose once there was absolutely nothing, that is, not anything, not even a sea of energy, no scientific laws, absolutely nothing, then there would still now be absolutely nothing. Because there is no such thing as a free lunch. You simply cannot get something out of nothing, not spontaneously and equally not in 20 billion years. To say otherwise and to believe otherwise is to believe in magic. In fact, it's even worse than that. It would be like pulling a rabbit out of a hat without the hat and without the magician. In verse 11 of Revelation chapter 4, the 24 elders are worshipping God. And they're saying, because of you, all things were created. And because of your sovereign will, they began to exist. God and God alone has the prerogative of bringing something out of nothing. There's no other logical or scientific explanation. Let all inquiry cease and worship begin. God's words, I am the Lord and there is no other, also formed the introduction to himself that God gave a pagan king in history. This was a king God had singled out for a very special purpose. And this is what we read in Isaiah chapter 45. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him, so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honour, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. There is no God except me. I will arm you, though you have not known me, so that people may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no one else, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. Before the chapter is finished, God will have repeated at least ten times, there is no one else, no God except him, no one besides him, or words to that effect. God acknowledges that this man, the Persian king, Cyrus, to whom he's in the process of revealing himself, is someone who's not known him. Despite that, God had selected him to be his chosen instrument so that all peoples from east to west in the whole world would come to know the true God who is without equal. He simply is, and there is no other. In other words, God is holy, meaning there's none like him. And nothing at all happens in this world, whether good or bad, without God at least permitting it to happen. What we've been establishing so far is that knowing God is to know the Holy One. And we're talking about knowledge of one who is utterly unique. And yet, God says to Christian believers, through the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the process that the Bible describes as sanctification. It's about us becoming different from our old self, from our environment all around us, and becoming Christ-like, like God himself. And of course, it's the work of God. 
It involves the application of the death of Christ and the Bible, as well as the activity of the Holy Spirit. In one sense, of course, we've already been made holy as soon as we became a believer in the Lord Jesus. But in an ongoing day-to-day sense, we're intended to become in practical Christian living what we already are in God's eyes through the death of Christ. This reminds us of the Church of God at Corinth, where the Apostle Paul addressed them as saints, that is, sanctified ones, made holy in Christ by their saving faith. But soon he went on to criticise them for their unholy behaviours, such as envy and strife. This process of practical sanctification is gradual and sometimes painful, as the writer to the Hebrews says. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Hebrews 12, verse 9 and 10. Notice that, that God's aim, should he have to discipline us, is to maximise the degree to which we share his holiness. But remember, God's holiness is saying something very profound about his nature, his being. It's no surprise then that the Apostle Peter gives us a tutorial on how we can become sharers or partakers of the divine nature, even as we become sharers of his holiness. In the statements that follow him saying that, he explains this wonderful mystery in a series of very practical steps that again stress what it really means to know God. He says God's power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you, For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. 2 Peter 1 from verse 3. If we are keen to supply these qualities in our living here for God, then we will increasingly experience what it means to know God and will find him using us. We'll also be confident Christians in the right sense, not tripping over ourselves, not stumbling. And as my old Bible teacher used to say, we'll enter the eternal kingdom like an old-time sailing ship under full sail. Majesty, worship his majesty.
Thanks, Brian. I hope, like me, you enjoyed today's study and found it encouraging. Again, if you have any questions or comments, do write in and Brian will be pleased to correspond with you. And I remind you, if I may, that there's a transcript book available of the 12 study talks in this series. So why not send for it and then you'll be able to get more out of the radio talks. Just write in and ask for the title, A Greater Sense of God. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. It's been great to enjoy your company again today. We're almost finished, so thank you for being with us. Do join us again next week for our next talk about a greater sense of God. It's called A Compassionate King. So till we see you next time then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. <laughs>